Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. Everybody who goes to the store, everybody who buys gas, they know that inflation is here. The voters were really not focused on pro or anti-Trump. They were focused on core issues that matter to them. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. I think the billionaire tax is good, but I think it's more of a messaging issue than a funding issue. Upgrading and maintenance of roads and bridges. Over 600,000 new jobs would be created. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Live from Washington, inside the bubble on this Thanksgiving Eve with fresh data on inflation and a peek behind the curtain at the Federal Reserve. We're going to take a deep dive with Bloomberg Economics Editor Michael McKee and explore the political risks, the economy and financial markets are posing for President Biden. Later, we'll look at the role China is playing in dictating the rules of engagement when it comes to politics and business. As you probably heard, Jamie Dimon apologizing for insulting Beijing a week after the Biden-Xi summit. The Sound On signature panel is here for the hour as well. Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis share insights on these stories and a few Thanksgiving traditions here in the nation's capital while we're at it. Thankful to have you with us on this day before. It's all family this hour. Our Bloomberg family that makes all the reporting behind this program possible. And we are going to start today with our voice on the Fed, Bloomberg Economics Editor Michael McKee, after hearing minutes from the last FOMC meeting and after the latest reading on inflation, the Fed's preferred gauge, the PCE deflator, rose in October at the fastest clip in three decades. This after we learned that consumer spending rose by the most since March. Big data dump this morning. Tom Keene was wound up. Then the Fed minutes came out. And the markets turned lower, as you heard from Charlie. Not what the White House wanted to hear today. So let's dig into it with Michael McKee. Mike, it's great to have you on Sound On. Thank you. So we finally got some minutes here and a little peek behind the curtain. We've had a lot of peeks behind the curtain over the last week or so. This has been a big week for the Fed. And uh, gosh, well, it's only Wednesday here. Let's start with the news at hand and what we learned about this last meeting. The headline, Fed officials stressed flexibility on taper pace. The market doesn't seem to like it. Well, the market is focused on another sentence within that paragraph, which various members of the Fed said, the Fed's Open Market Committee said that they might have to consider adjusting the pace of asset purchases and raising the target rate for the federal funds mm-hmm. uh, rate sooner than participants currently anticipated. So there was talk about a sooner uh, Fed rate rise bringing that forward, and that's what the markets are uh, focusing on. So I guess as we pull back from this, is the earth shifting under the Fed's feet here? Everyone has been you know, pretty settled on the transitory line, at least coming out of the, the chair and what we hear from the White House. And you know, I'm coming to you somewhat from the political perspective and the semantics perspective here in Washington. Is this Fed about to start singing a different tune on inflation? 
there's a good possibility that that's the case. They still believe the minutes show that three weeks ago they did. And I think even with the data that we have had over the past couple of days, they still believe that the inflation acceleration is transitory. You just have to define transitory as a longer period of time. It's all a lot based on the supply chain problems that we've had both for goods and in trying to get people back into the labor force. And that uh, in 2022, those things will ease and inflation will start to come back down. But they are worried that the idea of inflation is starting to get embedded in the public psyche. Mm -hmm. Obviously, we see that in the political polls about President Biden, and we see it in the falling consumer confidence numbers. And so they are aware that they may need to do something to try to reassure the public and Wall Street that they're on top of this. Beyond increasing the pace of tapering, are you talking rate hikes and getting to rate hikes more quickly? Well, they're leaving the option open. If they increase the pace of the taper, they can start raising rates sooner. Yeah. I think what you'll hear is people starting to talk about the fact that uh, we might have to consider sooner rate increases and see if jawboning does some of the work. If they come out at the December 15th meeting and say we're speeding up the pace of tapering, the market's going to take that as a signal of perhaps faster rate increases. Mm -hmm. And maybe uh, by raising market rates, they'll do some of the Fed's job for them. So I don't necessarily think we're baked into faster rate moves, but they're becoming more of a possibility. We've heard from quite a number of folks on the Fed, just in general, Clarida, Waller, Blard, Daly, talking on Bloomberg that it may be important to start speeding up the tapering process. Are they outnumbered? No, I think they're starting to gain a majority. Uh, we haven't polled everybody, but uh, most members who have spoken have suggested they were open to the possibility. And when you get data like we had today, they'll have a CPI report before the next meeting. Mm -hmm. And we'll, of course, see uh, a week from Friday the jobs report. And they'll have a much better idea of, of where they are. The people who thought that maybe they should wait longer had been suggesting by the end of the year that we would see a change in the inflation picture, but we're not seeing it. The whole idea of transitory, it must be something that you laugh about since you do this all day, and how much has been made about that choice of term. If the administration, and more specifically the Fed, had chosen another way to talk about this, would this be such a threat to the, the presidency, to, to Jay Powell's reputation, if they hadn't tried to make this sound like it was temporary, but rather something that they were prepared to deal with based on the data? I think that, that there is truth in that, that the American people don't follow the data that closely, mm -hmm. and they do follow the price of gasoline and food. And even though the Fed can't do anything about either one of right. those, the idea that the Fed is saying inflation is going to be transitory and you go to the gas pump and you're paying extra every time you go, uh, you're going to start saying this is a problem that is that the, the officials in Washington don't get. And, of course, uh, Joe Biden has the uh, unfortunate uh, role of president in this case because presidents always get blamed for whatever happens in the economy on their watch, even though <laughs> they don't have that much to do with it. You might suggest we overplay the impact that the commander-in-chief has on the trajectory of our economy, and they're all subject to that. Uh, of course, we saw Joe Biden standing on stage earlier this week. I was in the room as he rolled out uh, the big nominations, not very controversial. Jay Powell keeps his job, and of course, Lael Brainerd now nominated as vice chair. I'm, I'm going to start with this. I'll ask you about the open seats in a minute, but as far as these two appointments go, 
the data you're seeing coupled with their new tenure, assuming that they're going to be confirmed, does that mean any sort of change in philosophy at the Fed? No, I think it's the opposite. It means that there isn't a change in philosophy Status at the quo. Fed. And the markets don't have to worry about what would a new Fed person do, uh, a new Fed leader do? Would they be more hawkish or would they be more dovish? How quickly might they feel uh, we need to taper, that sort of thing? Now we can just look at it and go, okay, we have a pretty good idea of how Jay Powell thinks about things, about how Lael Brainerd thinks about things. And so as the economy develops, we can still use the same models we've been using to try to figure out where they're going. So the unknown is these open seats uh, we talked to Brian Deese about it the other night. He he says coming soon, essentially the same as the president by the end of the year. I think you've suggested that maybe early December uh, is when we start hearing about these roles. President Biden is promising more diversity, a range of views, more perspectives. But when you put that against the backdrop of this data and these minutes, what does that mean for his decision making process? Well, I think you have to step outside of the data in this case, because. Uh, whoever they choose to be a governor on the board is going to follow the Fed uh, chairman's lead, probably, in uh, voting on monetary policy. But in other areas, particularly in bank supervision and regulation, uh, you might see a, a, a difference. My guess is because Lil Brainerd did not take the supervision job and mm -hmm. you've got the uh, – Elizabeth Warren wing of the party unhappy about that, that he might appoint someone as the vice chair for supervision who's even going to be stricter right. than uh, than Lael Brainerd. I mean, we see that with the uh, nominee for the uh, controller of the currency. And so uh, you could see a big difference there. Where we, where we might see a difference on monetary policy would be at the margins in the sense that uh, one assumes, given everything that he has said and stood for, that the president will be appointing some minorities to these open seats. And they may be even more sympathetic mm -hmm. with the idea uh, that the Fed adopted of trying to bring down the unemployment rate for minorities, uh, get more women and minorities into the labor force as well. So it might slow any instinct uh, at the margin to tighten. Interesting. How risky are these nominations, these next seats to be filled for President Biden? The market will react, I presume, if, if, if investors don't like what they hear. This could be dicey. It could be, but I suspect they won't be upset with what they hear. Uh, if you are investing in banks, you probably already know the president is looking to crack down a little bit on yeah. them. I mean, uh, with, with the uh, uh, controller nominee and the idea that Lael Brainerd is still around, and you know, we'll, we'll see what happens with the financial institutions. Sure. But that's a longer term. When you hear investment. Republicans warn, though, that the mission of the Fed could be changed, for instance, by pursuing uh, the war against climate change, you wonder how the market's going to react. Yeah, I don't think that that's going to happen, uh, especially since Powell remains in charge and he's uh, said that the, the, the Fed is staying out of policy. What they will do is make sure that banks and other financial institutions don't make loans that could easily uh, be uh, uh, defaulted on because yeah. uh, the property is underwater in more ways than one <laughs> or uh, could be destroyed in some sort of weather accident, something like that. Mm -hmm. They're going to worry about the safety and soundness of the banking system in the new climate world. But they won't uh, venture into areas like buying green bonds or other policy sure. moves like that, unless Congress explicitly tells them to do so. Michael McKee, what's the next big stop on the road, the next important data point for you before the next meeting? 
Well, you got to go with the jobs report uh, yeah. a week from Friday because they are trying to get more people into the labor force and trying to get those unemployment rates down. We'll see what kind of progress they make there. We're thankful for your coverage and your expertise and the fact that you were with us today to help distill all of this. Michael McKee of Bloomberg, many thanks for being with us. And I'll say happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> the same to you. Nice treat to have Michael with us. You may not be surprised to hear that people are growing more worried about inflation. We'll put numbers to it next on Sound On. There's a new YouGov poll out. They ran the numbers for Yahoo showing higher prices impacting the lives of more than three quarters of Americans. This is why President Biden and his team are talking about it every day. And coming up, we'll assemble the panel to look at this research, see what it all means for the president and his ability to manage inflation. Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis up next on the Wednesday edition of Sound On, the fastest hour in politics. We'll check markets and traffic next to I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Three quarters of Americans say inflation is affecting their lives, but only 18 percent say President Biden is doing enough to address it. The findings of a new YouGov poll run for Yahoo News echoing concerns that we have seen in a series of recent polls over the past couple of weeks. And we bring in the panel for more with Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis. Great to have both of you here once again today for the hour. Jeannie, these numbers, like others recently, have got to be spooking the White House. There was one that jumped out to me. The people who said the most important issue facing America, 17%, more than any other issue, including COVID, inflation. If the president's not doing enough to address it, is there just a misunderstanding that Americans have over how much influence the commander-in-chief has over our economy, as we were just discussing with Michael McKee? You know, I think in this country, from the time that we're kids, we are told the president is the most powerful person, not only in the country, yep. but quite frankly, the world. Yep. And that includes his or maybe someday her ability to impact the economy. The reality is constitutionally, legally, their powers are limited. You know, one of my favorite stories was George W. Bush, who was more prepared to be president than anyone else, given he <laughs> watched his father do it, leaving the White House, t told a reporter the thing that surprised him most after eight years of being president, how little power he had. And wow. that is the reality of the U.S. president. But the American people have heightened expectations. That benefits the president at some times. But at times like this, it is a real problem for them. And they, they try, like Biden has been doing, to look like they are acting. Yeah. But their ability to influence the market is limited. I'm fascinated by that. And, of course, uh, Rick, his father knew uh, all about this with going from approval ratings in the 90s following the first Gulf War to being a first-term president because of an economic recession that he really may not have had any power over. Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, is a good example of the economic drive-by shooting in politics. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but look, the most powerful thing the president has is his bully pulpit. That's his ability to address the nation, to address the world, 
and set a standard of empathy, understanding, challenge. And this president has spent the last few months, we were talking about that earlier uh, in your interview with Mike McKee, yeah. about talking about how inflation is transient, not how inflation may affect you and how to prepare for it and what they're doing about it, but that grin and bear it, guys. Now, that's a bad use of the bully pulpit when you tell people that you really don't care about something that's affecting them as deeply as inflation has hit the American public. Are you surprised, Gene, to see the numbers continue to deteriorate? Where do we find a floor here? For I mean, approval ratings in some of these polls recently uh, have been in the upper 30s for Joe Biden. I wouldn't be surprised if they stay this way for some time. And, you know, I think another challenge that Joe Biden has is his message is not clear precisely because he has come to us repeatedly saying he wants to reduce dependence on fossil fuel and combat climate change. That's a major goal of his administration. Yet when the prices start to go up for gas, he runs out and releases the reserves. So we are getting mixed messages from this White House. And they really have to clarify if the goal is to decrease dependency, are we going to put up with the pain at the pump that is going to cause? And what can he do to alleviate that beyond this step he took yesterday with the oil reserves? Also in this uh, survey, Rick, a majority of Americans, albeit a small one, 51 percent, say they're worried that they will not be able to afford what they need during the holidays due to inflation. Forty five percent say they're worried they won't be able to get what they need due to shortages. I know we have supply neck, uh, uh, supply chain concerns here, uh, but this is an economy that is actually growing in a stock market that's still pretty darn close to all-time highs, Rick. How could there be such a disconnect? Well, Joe, I think you hit a really essential item, right? This president has been wildly successful in getting his program passed. He got a huge uh, over-trillion-dollar stimulus bill in the first few months of his presidency. He's gotten his trillion-dollar infrastructure bill passed just recently. You know, he's had a booming economy. The stock markets are at all-time highs, and yet – He has the worst ratings of managing the economy of any modern presidency right now within the first year. So so I do think timing matters. Right. He's had this crisis of inflation come at a time when people are highly sensitive to it. As you say, you know, they got to get in a car and drive. Gas prices are at the highest in seven years. They got to go to the store and buy a turkey. My turkey's thinner (laughs) this year than it used to be by 14 (laughs) percent. And so uh, I think part of it is timing. But like this administration has not been able to uh, assemble a message to the American public that is focused on the positives. You know, we really thought this was going to be a break from Trump, right? It was going to be stable and easy, and this guy was going to be, like, really empathetic. But the narrative is one of volatility. Exactly. So, Jeannie, does he need to take a page from Donald Trump, start tweeting about every all-time high that the stock market sets? It seemed to work the last four years. Uh, You know, I don't think he wants to take a page from Donald Trump, but I I do think, you know, the reality is we, you know, I I remember when I served as dean of the college, somebody told me, you're going to do things and the payoff won't come until long after you leave. (laughs) And this is, and I'm sad to say that's true. They were right. And I, and I think that's part of it. You know, to Rick's point, he did pass the, you know, two really big bills so far with really large investments in the economy, but people aren't seeing that and they aren't seeing the relief from that at this point. And that may not come until it's too late for Democrats in the midterm. You know, we're almost out of time here, Rick, but does the blame fall on the communications office at the White House? Who's responsible for this if it's a messaging problem? 
Well, the buck always stops in the Oval Office, so that's where this is going. Rick and Jeannie are with us for the hour as we get ready for the big holiday here. Glad you guys are with us. Charlie's here, too. He'll check the markets coming up. And we'll check traffic as well here on Bloomberg Sound On. As you would expect, Ed Telegi will help you get home. Coming up, Jamie Dimon has to watch what he says about China. We'll let you know what he said and the implications. This is Bloomberg. Broadcasting live from our nation's capital, Bloomberg 99.1 to New York, Bloomberg 1130 to Boston, Bloomberg 1061 to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960 to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119 and around the globe, the Bloomberg Business App and BloombergRadio.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew. Headline on the terminal, Diamond Regrets Quit J.P. Morgan to Outlast China Communist Party. Uh-oh. He's already apologized for it. But what does it say about American companies doing business in China? And more broadly about our two countries' relationship. We'll discuss next with our signature panel, Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shantano and Rick Davis up next. I wish the panel, the signature panel, was with us every day, but they have been every day this week. And Rick and Jeannie, of course, are with us uh, this hour as we find the headline on the terminal. The reason why I was asking about JPM, Jamie Dimon regrets the quip. Did you hear what he said about China? This was at an event, Boston College Chief Executives Club. They bring in lots of big CEOs, politicians for speaking sessions. They used to go to a lot of them. It's actually quite fascinating. He was up there to open a new branch, Mattapan, where Jamie Dimon was quoted to say, I'm not woke. Fascinating story up in that neck of the woods. But it was the China comment that really made the news as he discussed his company's commitment to China in a wide-ranging discussion at Boston College Chief Executives Club. Listen to what he said. I made a joke that the Communist Party is celebrating its 100th year. So is J.P. Morgan. And, <laughs> and I'll, make, I'll make you bet we last longer. Oh, I no. can't say that in China. <laughs> I can't say that anywhere as it turns out so people got very upset this became a big problem uh on social media i'm sure his phone started ringing immediately uh on weibo china's china's twitter uh, shen yi a lecturer at fudan university more than one and a half million followers says this guy is really quite arrogant looks like jp morgan doesn't want its newly acquired license Hugh Jin, if I'm pronouncing his name right, editor-in-chief of the Communist Party's Global Times newspaper, posting on Weibo as well. 24 million followers. I bet the Chinese Communist Party will outlast the United States of America. So I guess no surprise, Rick Davis, to hear Jamie Dimon apologizing, essentially within 24 hours of making that remark. Yeah, I mean, I understand why he's apologizing, but I hope he's right. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, well, fair like, enough. My own personal view is I think the Chinese Communist Party should collapse within the next uh, 100 years. And but I bet you J.P. Morgan's still going strong. Well, in this, look, that may be the case. But, boy, when you're Jamie Dimon, and this, by the way, has happened to politicians, to athletes, to celebrities. You say the wrong thing about Beijing, you better clean it up because you might not be doing business there next week, Jeannie. That's right. First of all, I can't get over Charlie Pellet doing all of that on the terminal while talking to you <laughs> oh, on the air. He is a ninja. That is amazing. He's probably um, making turkey on <laughs> That's 
speech right at the same time. Um, no, no, you know, I, I think it sounded like from the clip we've all heard that that he knew he shouldn't be saying it. He did yeah. say it, and he walked it back within 24 hours. He had to do that. Um, you know, it, uh, to a certain extent, it, it reminded me way back, you know, several years ago when Shelley Adelson made much more uh, vitriolic comments about <laughs> Iran, and then they were the victim of an enormous uh, malware cyber attack as a result uh, uh, yeah. that the FBI later confirmed. So, you know, there you know there are huge, huge ramifications for this for somebody in Jamie Dimon's position. And of course, with J.P. Morgan investing, what, $20 billion in China yeah. and having expansion plans, the implications are enormous. And, and he was right to walk it back. He had to do that. Only Rick Davis can say those kinds of things <laughs> on the air. Yeah, Rick could too. But the statement, by the way, I regret and should not have made that comment. Diamond says, I was trying to emphasize the strength and longevity of our company. We should know J.P. Morgan has almost $20 billion of exposure in the Chinese economy. And that's, well, I mean, it's not unusual for a major American firm to have great exposure in China. Rick, I guess the question is, why is everyone so afraid? These are the most powerful people Because in the world. China retaliates. Uh, China retaliates. China goes after people like these guys. Uh, I don't think it's a veiled threat when they say, oh, you just cut your license to operate in China. <laughs> By the way, it took a really long time for a prestigious group like J.P. Morgan to get a license yeah. to work in China. And, and, and it wouldn't surprise me, right? People disappear. Uh, uh, corporate executives from China say anything wrong and they're gone. They uh, don't make the next board meeting. I think Jamie's got a little bit better process aspects than those hope. guys do. But but the reality is we, we see a clash of two cultures and a clash of two systems. The Chinese Communist Party does not take dissent. That's why you don't have Facebook in China. That's why you don't have Twitter in China. That's mm -hmm. why Weibo is regulated by the government and controls what goes on there. So I mean this is this is a people got to get used to it. It is communist. They are an authoritarian regime and they don't like people saying nasty things about them even if they're making a joke. Well, I, I yeah, and it certainly informs our government's relationship with Beijing and the, and the delicate dance that President Biden is having now with President Xi. Can you believe that was only a week ago? Stay with us on Sound On. We've got one more turn with Rick and Jeannie as we talk about something a little more kind and gentle, Thanksgiving traditions here in Washington. This is Bloomberg. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. So President Biden woke up this morning on Nantucket to enjoy, as I read in the playbook, splendid and enforced isolation. Sounds kind of nice. Seems like it'd be cold there right now, though. It's a longtime family tradition. The Biden's been spending Thanksgivings on Nantucket as we have noted here on the program for more than 30 years, they're going back this year post-COVID. This after Joe Biden pardoned the turkeys last Friday, another big Thanksgiving tradition for the White House. I want to ask Rick and Jeannie about it, our panel, of course, because these can be opportunities for a president to transcend politics for a moment, right? Move beyond partisanship, maybe even invoke 
a little bit of humor? You think, Rick, a president has an opportunity on a holiday like this to do something positive. Maybe have us all forget this business we've been talking about. Is this not an opportunity? For sure, it's an opportunity. Uh, people around the holidays, they want to be inspired. They want to be around family. Um, we've been in enforced isolation for two years because of COVID. It's yeah. nice that he thinks it's so great, but <laughs> I want to get out and see other people. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it, people want to hear from their president during the holiday. They want to see him, you know, uh, being robust and, 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 and everyone wishes each other, uh, Happy holidays, even if they disagree with them. So yes. this is the time to try and create that, you know, uh, bridge that divide. Some presidents go to Camp David. That was certainly the case for George W. Bush uh, repeatedly. Jeannie, uh, the Obamas uh, would do something else, maybe go to Hawaii, although that was typically the Christmas trip. But there are moments here to act like a human being instead of the POTUS. There are. And, you know, as you know, I live in New York and they the president and the vice president did just before he left to try to do something that is important giving at the holidays. But I will tell you that in a New York newspaper that will go unnamed this soup kitchen they visited. The report was this. Biden gives Harris cold shoulder at D.C. <laughs> soup kitchen after reported tensions. That was the headline. So, so maybe it's not possible to so, transact. So it, it's it's tough and they're trying but the message you know it, it is tough to get out and so you know if the president wants to be isolated it's going to be even tougher to get that message out not yeah. for a lack of trying but this is how these things are being reported in some avenues rick you've spent a lot of holidays in the nation's capital you spent a lot of them uh, with senator john mccain do you have any enduring thanksgiving memories well, I would say uh, Senator McCain had an interesting approach to holidays. He would usually go abroad and see his the troops. Yeah. Uh, in fact, the last time he uh, did that was in 2016. He was in Afghanistan on Thanksgiving. And it was especially, uh, I think, uh, moving for him because his son, Jack, was stationed in Afghanistan at the time flying helicopters. Hmm. And so uh, – one way to see your son uh, go to <laughs> Afghanistan for Thanksgiving, but he did it routinely, and it was a way for him to try and uh, give comfort to the troops who were away from their families. Uh, all around the world tonight, we have troops away from their families on Thanksgiving, and he felt uh, a real desire, real motivation uh, uh, to, to, to go abroad, uh, whether it was in Afghanistan or in the Balkans or in Iraq. Uh, and and see our troops and to cheer them up and, and he would give his 25 minute uh, stand up routine uh, and get everybody <laughs> laughing at the same jokes he gave every year uh, but it, just the fact that he was there and uh, and supporting them for a change versus them supporting our country uh, sure. was was a nice respite for them. How about November 27, 2003, Jeannie? President Bush, remember the surprise visit to to the troops in Iraq. This was a big deal then. Reporters had to silence their phones. They get on Air Force One. All of a sudden, they're in Iraq. He walks out the big spread, the big turkey. The troops are cheering. That is, that's some good politics. That is. And, and, you know, that is something that, you know, presidents try to. That's sort of the moment they try to capture. Um, and, you know, who knows if we're going to see that from President Biden at, at any point. But that is exactly what they want to capture. And, and Bush did that beautifully in well, 2003. So what would be Joe Biden's version of that? Right. We obviously we're at the point now following that very difficult withdrawal 
deadly withdrawal from Afghanistan, where we don't have uh, a formal war uh, underway. We have a lot of troops stationed overseas. He still finishes every speech with him saying, God bless our troops. But how could Joe Biden, whether it's now or Christmas, how does he surprise the media, surprise the talking heads with a move like that? It's not a very fair question, yeah, but I'm curious what you think. Yeah, I don't think he has to surprise anybody. I think that he could put out an address, uh, speak to the troops via the communication channels they have. They have these great uh, systems where you could uh, actually talk to them in real time. Uh, I would hope he would do something like that because you're right. I mean, he he honors the service and sacrifice of our men and women in in uniform. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I would hope that he'd use the holidays as a way of communicating directly to them. I think people feel comfort in knowing that the president has that as a very high priority. Jeannie, does he stay quiet uh, during this trip? Is that the best thing for Joe Biden to do right now? He may want a little bit of quiet, but, you know, I think to your earlier point, there's other, you know, the troops, certainly he could give an address. But let's not forget we're, we're in the midst of a pandemic. Hopefully it's ending. But I thought, you know, some kind of honoring of the people whose lives have been lost. I mean, the the sort of devastation that he has been so empathetic about, you know, that's also something that he can address during these holiday seasons, because a lot of people are living right now without their loved ones as a result of the pandemic and biden knows that better than anybody yeah pretty fascinating stuff i hope both of you guys have a great holiday i won't bother you with uh, with what your plans are but i hope you're with family i hope you're with friends and that you have a great meal and a celebration ahead at least there will be that i will say happy thanksgiving to rick and Jeannie. same to you jeff thank you for that i look forward to taking a breather here these guys are great right we have Great times with Rick and Jeannie understanding what's going on. We can talk about things on this program that you couldn't talk about at the Thanksgiving table. And to that, I will warn you, be careful what you say tomorrow. You could be one of those statistics. Honey, grab the coats. Because we're still not beyond that. Now, we're big on holiday traditions around here on Sound On. Before we say farewell and happy turkey, you know, we're big on White House history here. There's just something about Thanksgiving at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue that puts a smile on our faces. And I think that's the point. At least that's become the point. As you'll hear in our closing piece here. For our producer, Christine Barada, and our celebrity booker, Matt Shirley, we are thankful for a lot of things around here. I am, including our friend Charlie Pellet on the market updates. I'll meet you back here on Monday. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. You know, as a University of Delaware man, I'm partial to blue hens. But today, we're going to talk turkey. I beg your pardon. I never promised you a rose garden. This turkey represents America's 45 million turkeys who will begin making their uh, irreplaceable contribution to our Thanksgiving celebration. So take it easy, Turkey. We're just here to serve you. Our guest of honor looks a little nervous. Nobody's told him yet that I'm going to give him a pardon. I know some folks think this tradition is a little silly. Uh, I do not disagree. Uh, I've got to listen to my critics uh, say I'm often too soft on turkeys. I am pleased to announce that today's lucky bird and guest of honor is named Peas along with his alternate named 
carrots. The children will understand that. Who better help celebrate the holiday in which they break the bread for two turkeys named peanut butter and jelly. This turkey is going to be called Flyer. And the backup bird's name is Fryer. This year's lucky bird, corn, and just in case we needed him, Cobb. This year's national turkey goes by the name of Apple, and his feathered understudy is appropriately named Cider. Even though peas and carrots have received a presidential pardon, I have warned them that House Democrats are likely to issue them both subpoenas. He is Totus, the turkey of the United States. Folks, turkey is infrastructure. Peanut butter and jelly are going to help build back the butterball as we move along. Thanksgiving is a special day for turkeys, I guess, probably for the most part, not a very good one when you think about it. The first turkey to dodge the White House dinner table received unofficial clemency when President Abraham Lincoln's son, Tad, begged his father to spare his new friend. His son, Tad, grew so attached to the turkey that he named him Jack, and President Lincoln had no choice but to give Jack the full run of the White House. Jack was here, actually, for some monumental events. On Election Day in 1864, when Mr. Lincoln was running for re-election, a special polling place was actually set up right here on the grounds of the White House so that the soldiers could vote. Well, Jack the turkey actually strutted in front of some of the would-be voters and broke in line. Lincoln asked his son, why is your turkey at the polls? Does he vote? Without hesitation, Tad said, he's not old enough yet. Tomorrow, 45 million turkeys will make the ultimate sacrifice for America's feast. But not this one. I'm granting this turkey a permanent reprieve. After many years in the coop, he's on his way to a farm in Virginia to bask in the sun, collect his hard-earned pension, enjoy his golden years. And that's one less turkey in Washington. Happy Thanksgiving. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.